Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Enjoy. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. Hey, Megan, it's been a bit of time since we've talked. Hello. Happy to come back for my uh, Alphabet Squadron correspondent role. Yes, yes, the excuse to bring you on the show. We need to find more excuses to bring you on the show, like other than Alphabet Squadron, especially now that it's over. Sure. I mean, so I haven't been podcasting a lot since like last summer, so it's really nice to be able to come back. And if I'm a little rusty or if I just talk forever, it's just because I haven't been able to do this for a while. So thank you for giving me a chance to do that. Yes, no problem. We're always happy to have you on. And it also gives Teresa an excuse to take a break. So she doesn't have to do this. So <laughs> Teresa and I have different expertises, and I always enjoy hearing hers. Yes, yes. And she she readily admits that she does not enjoy Alphabet Squadron. So she might actually be sad that it's ending, because then she doesn't have an excuse to skip an episode. <laughs> but maybe we maybe can find we'll, another yeah. series coming you know, down the road that is maybe, I don't know, related to spaceship battles that you could... Uh, mm-hmm. Help cover when they she... when they next make the the rogue squadron tie-ins or i don't know some new clone commando stuff i'm here for you <laughs> there you go there you go but if you so for our listeners if you haven't figured it out yet we have megan has returned to talk about alphabet squadron teresa's taking the night off so we have megan uh that you guys might know from den of geek she's written for starwars.com she kind of you've written for a bunch of stuff. Uh, Insider is the other major one. Yes, Insider. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, always happy to have you. Always happy to have your kind of insight into the Alphabet Squadron books. I, it's we always have really fun conversations, and um, I'm really excited about talking about Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price in a little <laughs> bit. But before we get into that, I just kind of want to catch up with you. It's been over a year. I think since you were at least since you were on bookworms um, and a lot has happened in Star Wars. So kind of what what have you been into as far as Star Wars goes? Absolutely. I mean, we had the finale of The Mandalorian between one Alphabet Squadron and the next. And I've really enjoyed The Mandalorian characters. I'm a uh, one woman petitioned for Katie O'Brien's character to survive and come back and kick butt some more in The Mandalorian, even though that looks increasingly, not increasingly, it's not like there's been any new information. (laughs) She just seems to be dead, but (laughs) she should come back anyway. Um, So I really enjoyed that finale. And after that, honestly, it's been pretty quiet in Star Wars, I think. I have been re-watching The Clone Wars with a friend who has never seen them before. So getting her perspective has been fun. We're actually doing Star Trek, Star Wars double features. So once or twice a week, we watch a Clone Wars episode and a Voyager episode, which has been a lot of fun. That's an interesting combination. Yes, I think Star Wars, uh, as a Star Wars fan, me saying Voyager is my favorite Star Trek is almost like a cliche a little bit. It is, I think, one of the warsiest of the Treks, <laughs> but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> it's been a, a long time since I've seen Voyager, 
I am I was a big Trekkie kind of maybe in my early or late teens, early twenties, because you know, I was really into the next generation mm-hmm. and kind of just just absolutely love that show. And then as the spin offs of that show started coming out, you know, I was watching those. So I did I did enjoy Voyager back when it first aired, but I haven't really done like a rewatch and, or revisited it. So is it, how does it hold up? I like it. I mean, I think as a Star Wars fan, I'm constantly wondering like, why are the ship battles so static and why is everyone talking about their feelings so much? But <laughs> I do enjoy it. I like Janeway a lot. I think she's a very, she's a character who is allowed to be very, fierce and very soft in the same episode she is complicated she is having to hold together this crew and sort of see their like structures and laws slowly fall apart and you see that in her specifically in a way that's interesting so I like her a lot I think I've watched like a little bit of Star Trek I have not watched all of it but she is maybe my favorite I like her in seven of nine so that's what I'm watching Star Trek for is for uh for women with guns fighting the Borg mostly <laughs> nice I I think it's probably my second favorite Star Trek show behind Next Generation Voyager would be um and I'm watching the I watched Picard which I I enjoyed mostly I didn't love how it ended and and then I've been trying to watch um, Discovery, although I haven't gotten too far into it. So, so in I'm still Clone a Wars, bit of a we've uh... oh yeah, I, I liked Picard too. That actually kind of kicked off this whole thing. Is that we watched Picard and then we're like, oh, you should should get to know what the what the rest of this is. Um, and then in Clone Wars, we're at the season five finale right now. So the stuff with Ahsoka leaving the Jedi, which is very interesting to see after both the High Republic kind of giving context to how far the Jedi have fallen and also some of the current conversation around how complicit were the Jedi in their own fall. has So rewatching it and getting a refresh on it has been nice. So are you excited for the soon-to-be-released spinoff, The Bad Batch? I'm not legally allowed to say whether I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's not totally true. I'm definitely eager for, for more animation, um, and I like that they're kind of continuing the story that we saw already. Um, my thing, I've, I've seen two episodes of The Bad Batch because of the press junket was last week, and I'm not allowed to say whether I liked them or not, basically. But I am happy to see Star Wars animation, and I'm also happy to see... Um, uh jennifer corbett i believe i'm gonna look up that name real quick to make sure i got it right um is one of the head writers on bad batch which she worked on resistance yeah that is the correct name she worked on resistance and there's kind of a moment of um she worked with filoni on the first episode and i feel like there's this moment of him sort of handing a baton to her which is which is super interesting because i think um, it's nice to see a female head writer and someone that um, kind of jumped off of Resistance, which while a mixed bag in terms of content, I think, was a, a nice sort of experimental look at where Star Wars animation could go. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm tentatively excited about Bad Batch. And I, I think I've talked about it probably on the show before, so I won't rehash all my thoughts, but... Just the the episodes that did come out around those characters, I didn't love. 
Um, so we'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'm excited just because, like you said, more Star Wars animation. I'm always up for that. And, you know, the potential of characters they could bring in and some of the ones they've already announced I, is exciting to me. But the actual core characters of the Bad Batch, I'm, I didn't really like those characters that much. They mm-hmm. felt a little over the top for me. So we'll see, but I, I'm sure I'll I'm sure I'll enjoy it. I'm excited about it coming. And I do agree with that. I think those characters themselves are not what I'm are are not maybe the most interesting thing about what this show could be. I still think it's kind of an odd choice that they spun off that group in particular, or or rather used Clone Wars as a launching point for them, whichever direction it went. Right, right. Well, the big thing that's been kind of the big Star Wars thing, I guess, recently, as far as literature goes, is all this High Republic stuff. I'm assuming you've been keeping up? Yes. So, I uh, I enjoyed your Into the Dark episode, and I think that that book was my favorite of the three of the books. Okay. I also, we talked about this before we started recording a little bit, but you have the charts, the High Republic character charts in the, in the notes, and... My biggest problem with the High Republic is that there are six million characters. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's true. There, there are so many characters. It's hard to. It's kind of hard to even have a favorite, or kind of even remember yes. where your favorite is at. You know, it's like, did my did my character die? I can't remember. There's there's too many characters, so I I'm not going to complain though. It kind of gives me, um, New Jedi Order vibes a little bit. And also kind of the old Dark Horse comics that they did that were set in the Clone Wars era. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like a lot of Jedi. Just there's a lot of Jedi and they're kind of all in different planets and doing different things. And that's, to me, my personal fandom, that's kind of when Star Wars is at its best. So I'm definitely not going to complain. But yeah, there are a lot a lot of these characters to keep up with. I feel like if if New Jedi Order was a tree right the solo kids are the trunk the rest of the eu was the roots and then the story expanded out and you had all these little branches and leaves and stuff as the end as it got toward the end high republic is upside down they introduce all the leaves and branches and the big sprawling mess of it at the beginning and i presume it's going to narrow down a little bit so as all these characters kind of come together and we see sort of here's the central conflict and we're seeing that a little bit with the lore Santecas or with the Santecas already, I think. Um, but the shape of it is is strange. I do have, I like um, Avar, Chris, and Elzar Man. They're the Raylo for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I have my favorite characters already. So in that way, it's it's working, but I'm a little afraid that the cast of thousands has driven people away rather than attracted them. Yeah, it's hard to keep kind of tabs on even how successful it is. That's one thing that's frustrating about books is, you know, just because something hits the New York Times bestseller list doesn't necessarily mean it's that popular, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm, um, for sure. You know, that those lists are a lot of times driven by, you know, sales around like which bookstores are ordering a lot of books and not necessarily the actual end user, the end consumer. So, you know, you get a big name thing like Star Wars or a big name author, a lot of times they're going to hit the New York Times seller bit list no matter what. So, I don't know how successful this is, you know, going. It's not like movies where you can kind of just look at the box office. 
and I get a sense from people that I talk to, it's really a mixed bag. You know, I've talked to people that absolutely are loving it. And then I've talked to other people that's, yeah, it's, not, it's just not really my thing. Um, you know, I'm really not that interested in it. I, I wish it wasn't dominating, you know, kind of all the books right now. So, yeah, I'm, I know they have like this kind of planned out in phases. Uh, I'm just really curious to see how far it goes. I would argue that it's not dominating books right now, even though there are quite a lot of them coming out. We have, we have other things. We have the Thrawn book coming out, which of course is going to take a lot of the, the conversation in the fandom. But, um, I think like I would also be, I'm interested in seeing how people react to it. And, uh, sort of anecdotally, a friend of mine saw a million ads for it because there's a million ads and just kept looking at it and saying, but I don't know what this is. I don't know what it's about. I don't understand. There's no hook in it. Like the idea of it being the golden age of the Jedi was not enough of a hook for him to, to give it a chance the way he like gives most of the Disney plus shows a chance, for example. So that is just like, I'm anecdotally, I'm not sure that the marketing was sort of pointed enough about what is actually going on in the story, partially because it's so hard to, to say here's exactly what's going on in the story because it is all these individual different storylines. Yeah. There's not like a core group of characters. They, it seems like they're, the core exists, but it's a big core. You know, there's, there are characters they're definitely focusing on, but it's definitely, it's not like, okay, Luke Han and Leia are doing this, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's um, like, or even your example where you're talking about the, you know, kind of the EU with the, the solo kids, you know, you kind of had that core group and then they built around it. Um, yeah. So your, your analogy earlier actually is perfect that it's almost like they started with too many branches um instead of the roots or the trunk i might not remember this correctly but i think from your previous episodes you said you liked loden is he your favorite or who's your favorite he's he's a favorite i don't know that i have a favorite so far um i think stellan is pretty cool um elzar man avar chris like you said like i kind of gravitate toward like traditionally quote-unquote cool characters um and so if they look cool and they act cool i kind of like those kind of characters so nice um, those are the ones that i've kind of gravitated toward so far but honestly there hasn't been you know out of all the different characters they've introduced i've pretty much liked them all there isn't one that i'm like oh i really don't like this character especially the jedi uh characters i would say in general i haven't been as impressed with the kind of the villains yet mm-hmm. um that's where I feel like maybe the weak point has been is that the villains just don't feel powerful enough. And then even the idea of this kind of new threat of these, you know, these plants that are driven by the dark side, that almost, that also does not feel, you know, like a big enough threat for the Jedi. So maybe I just miss when Jedi fought Sith. So I don't know. It's got to be hard to be given the assignment specifically, like make something that's not the Sith, but has that level of like ability to frighten Jedi. And they've talked about that in the, in the behind the scenes sort of about, we wanted to talk about what scares a Jedi. And even if, I mean, I agree, I don't entirely think that it succeeded so far, but that is a hard job. Yeah. Um, I mean, it used to be, you know, when they tried to do that, 
in the old EU, it was the Yuzen Vong. Um, you know, <laughs> Which also was mixed. I right. mean, I adore them, but I know that got very mixed reception as well. I'm, but I'm more on your side. I actually thought they were, you know, formidable. And they, they were, th- to me, I always felt like, especially the way they started that story with um, the death of Chewbacca and kind of, you just, you automatically get the feeling like, oh, wow, these, these guys could really mess some stuff up. Um, I haven't mm-hmm. gotten there yet with with these um, these new villains, but yeah, I agree. It's it is a challenge, you know, to come up with these with a villain that's going to be able to uh, be a threat to the Jedi. I think maybe more the idea of what's going on with like the hyperspace, you know, you know, messing with hyperspace and all that. That's more of a threat, really, than the actual physical villains. For sure. I thought the Night Hill were really only starting to get scary at the end of uh, Light of the Jedi. And we'll see where it goes, right? There's another wave. They're talking about it in waves, like like mm-hmm. Marvel movies. Right. And I think I'm going to give it a couple waves before I start saying, oh, I really don't think this is working. But right now, I'm like, it's a thorough so-so. I want it to work. I want to be excited about it. And... Uh, I hope that I can be in the future, but right now it's a little, sort of an odd beginning. Are you reading the comics? No, I read a first couple issues um, because they came in this nice pack of things that I got, thanks Disney. But I don't follow comics as much generally, so uh, unfortunately not. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm a little behind on the comics, but I definitely plan on reading them. But, I mean, so far I'm... I'm loving it. I know, you know, it's probably predictable because I like Jedi characters and there's a lot of Jedi characters, but so far I'm, I'm really enjoying the change of pace and kind of some original characters, um, that aren't Thrawn, that aren't Skywalkers, that aren't Darth Vader. You know, it's nice to kind of go away from some of that tried and true stuff and try something new. For sure. And I agree with that. I like I like seeing Jedi. I like seeing people that are just good-hearted people who want to do good in sort of this way that is it's complicated in its own way, but it's not conflicted as opposed to like everyone in Alphabet Squadron who's conflicted in five different ways. <laughs> oh, yeah. De- definitely. We we will definitely be talking about that. So, it's probably a good time. I mean, we you know, I wanted to catch up with you. You know, I figured we could talk about some uh, some High Republic. But the real reason you're here is to talk about Alphabet Squadron Victory's Price. The, f- the finale, I guess. The, the final of a trilogy. Um, and I'll go ahead and just give the stats on this one. Uh, the publisher is Del Rey. Author is Alexander Freed. And this one was released March 2nd, 2021. So we are... We are you know, a couple months out pretty much from, or almost a couple months out from a release. We will be talking spoilers in this episode. So if you haven't read this book yet and you do plan to, you don't want to hear spoilers, uh, you might want to tune out and come back after you finish reading the book. All right, so publisher summary. The aces of the New Republic have one final chance to defeat the darkness of Shadowwing in this thrilling conclusion to the Star Wars Alphabet Squadron trilogy. In the wake of Yerika Quell's shocking decision in one of the fiercest battles of their lives, the remnants of Alphabet Squadron seek answers and closure across a galaxy whose old war scars are threatening to reopen. Soren Keys has returned to the tip of Shadow Wing's spear, 
Operation Cinder, the terrifying protocol of planetary extermination which began in the twilight of the Imperial era, burns throughout the galaxy. Shadowwing is no longer wounded, uh, prey fleeing the hunters of the New Republic. With its leader, its strength has returned, and its Star Destroyers and TIE Squadrons lurk in the darkness between stars, carrying out the fallen Emperor's final edict of destruction. As well as another stranger mission, one Keys has championed not for the dying Empire, but for its loyal soldiers. Alphabet Squadron's ships are as ramshackle and damaged as their spirits, and they've always had each other. Now, as they face the might of Key's reborn juggernaut, they aren't even sure they have that. How do you catch a shadow? How do you kill it? And when you're finally victorious, who pays the price? Hmm. So... Alphabet Squadron. Are they even a squadron anymore? I feel like they're. How many how many active pilots do you have to have to, for it to be called a squadron? They're they're a squadron briefly, I suppose. Right. They, yeah. Uh... They have not fared too well over the past couple books. No, and when we do get our climactic team ups at the end, in the beginning, they're scattered to the wind. Yes. The beginning of this book is was definitely a surprise for me. A lot of things in this book were a surprise to me. I love this trilogy. I found that they, the first two books did things that I have wanted Star Wars books to do for decades and finally saw. I think the characterization is just astonishing in some of them. It is, in terms of the structure, it is amazing how you can write about such sort of adrift people in a way that does not itself feel adrift. And I did feel that in the beginning of this book that finally kind of wavered a little bit in that there were moments where I kept waiting for answers to big questions at the end of the second book and didn't get them until way later in the character's point of view. I have a bit of a pet peeve about not being let into all of the character's motivations and thoughts and plans when you are inside their head already. Mm. And normally this trilogy was really good with that. If you were inside Qual's head, you knew what Qual wanted and what she was planning on doing. And at the end of even at the end of uh, Shadowfall, when she kind of went back to the Empire, I thought it was it was done well. You could see why she herself maybe didn't even know she was going to do that. Whereas in this book, she was hiding her plans from the reader for a while, which was quite jarring initially. So she's with the Empire. Uh, Nath and Chas are doing intelligence missions. Will's the only one actually flying, right? Kairos, is is she still recovering at the beginning? I think so, yeah. Yeah, she's kind of having... I think she had just kind of recovered. So, did you think... What did you think about that? Because um, the end of Shadowfall was such a shock, right? With her going back to the Empire. Do you think that... Did her story go where you expected it to in the first section when she's back with Shadowwing? I mean, that was one of the things I loved about Shadowfall is they left us hanging like that. And I don't mind I don't mind being kind of left hanging as long as I know something's coming to, to tell me the story. So, and I like it when books are willing to shock you. And so I was really kind of 50-50 on if she was really going back to the Empire or if, if it was kind of just a ploy. I felt like they, I mean, they did definitely make us wait, like you said, but they didn't make us wait too long. So I kind of mm-hmm. get the sense that, okay, she's not, 
she's back with the Empire, but she's definitely not on the Empire's side. She's just trying to figure out how she can continue to help um, the, you know, the Republic, the New Republic, without giving herself away. And so that was interesting to kind of watch. Um, and then, of course, she, you know, you have her former wingmates who are all think that she's a complete traitor. So they're like, they want to essentially hunt her down. Um, I did think it was interesting when they finally, you know, when they do finally have that confrontation at that point where she decides that she's going to continue to not tell them all the details. Mm-hmm. That's always frustrating to me in any fiction because I guess it's just part of, yeah. you know, anything, movies, TV shows, books, they're going to, they're going to, for dramatic purposes, have her do that. But the logic in my brain is saying, just tell them, like, just tell, yes. like, be honest with each other. This is going to solve so many problems. There was so much of, like, just talk to each other in this book for me. And for a series that's all about a bunch of very broken people, people who have really good reasons not to trust each other, you know, there's that direction a story tends to go, that direction that, like, Star Wars Rebels went and, like, Han's, like, change of heart in A New Hope, which I think we're going to talk about again in this episode, where the characters that say, you know, I'm not part of the team, I'm just here to do my own job, they really are part of the team. They really do, like, love the team, and it's about getting uh, sort of this found family together. And this book really, I sort of, after everything, after how cold a lot of these characters are to each other still have that idea in my head of like that's what star wars is like people get together and they they stay together until something really you know like the end of rebels was sort of had, had this great tragedy that knocked everyone apart but i was expecting at least a little bit more of them cohering as a group and they really didn't which i feel like is you kind of go to this series for this emotional like it's upsetting. It's just a. It, I find them in a cathartic, like, good way, but still upsetting because all of these people are so sort of prickly to each other, and that just doesn't let up, right? Most, mostly, we'll talk about the actual finale, but throughout most of it, I, I really thought that they would be closer, and they were not. <laughs> yeah, I, I was almost angry at Alexander Freed on this one, so I feel like he like not he brought it up a couple notches. It was hard yeah. for me to read, you know, as I'm reading through this, it was like emotionally impacting me and not in a great way. You know, I was feeling like sad a lot of this book, you know, really down about kind of how these characters treated each other. And maybe it's because I can't relate as much um, with those type of relationships. I would say most of my life I've had pretty functional relationships and not a ton of dysfunctional relationships. <laughs> Look at this flex, Aaron having functional relationships. Yeah, right. <laughs> so oh, it's I get it. <laughs> so as I'm reading through this, I'm like, this is painful. Like to I felt so sad in different moments or like Nath would say something and I'm like, You're so mean. Why are you so mean? Like why are mm-hmm. you being so mean? And I get I guess I get that they you know, deep down they're all they felt like, you know, they were there for each other or they loved each other or whatever. But it definitely didn't come through in how they treated each other. No, and and I don't know that they did until, like, you know, the few exceptions at the end. I I really like your questions in the notes, which are, why is Will Lark so nice? And why is Nath so mean? (laughs) And um, 
I think that this book has a sort of fundamental, like, um, maybe even more so than like Twilight Company, which had came from a, si- a similar perspective. I think has sort of a um, misandr- uh, mis- mis- misanthropy to it. It just doesn't like people in a lot of in a lot of ways, and. Uh, I think Miss Andrew would be if it only hates men. It does not only hate men. <laughs> Everyone. Um, so, yeah, there's very just cold relationships. And um, why is why is Will Lark so nice? Um, I think because he did have supporting relationships in his past, right? He came from this very community-centered community and, like, clearly made connections with people quite easily. And then Nath, my beloved, is just being me. Nath is the one who's like, if Han hadn't turned around at the end of A New Hope, right? He just he just doesn't. And there are moments where I think he does support people. He almost, he essentially keeps Chas from, like, harming herself, right? But he does it because it's his job. But he also does it, like... There was almost a mean spiritedness to it as he's talking to her about kind of the cult. Is that the moment you're referring to? Yeah, that and there's I'm I'm not sure if it's that exact conversation, but there's a couple points where he basically like says, I have to I have to say this to her because if I don't, she won't be able to work for us anymore because she'll just collapse. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. In the moment where he's talking to her about the cult and kind of just He's realizing that she's kind of bought into it to an extent. And he hits her with the harsh truth of, you know, the cult leader and, you know, how she's just basically a scam artist. And Oh, yeah, yeah. And he, they say, oh. you know, as he's saying this stuff to her and she's really bothered by it, that he's actually finding enjoyment in how bothered she is. Mm. And to me, that's like, there's a deeper, like he's, I think he's part of him. He feels like he's helping her out, but at the same time, he's enjoying her pain. Mm-hmm. And that's where I kind of differentiate Nath from someone like Han, because I think, although maybe similar kind of scoundrel personalities, Han has like a heart of gold, and he's trying to pretend that he doesn't. Whereas this guy, Nath, doesn't. He has kind of a heart of coal, mm-hmm. and he's not really putting on a show. That's really who he is. Maybe that's my really jaded perspective on this guy. But I mean, he, he, I don't know, like other than like him kind of caring about Will a little bit toward the end, it all seemed to kind of only be things that, you know, worked in his favor. Yeah. I mean, the most interesting thing to me about him is that for most of the series, he's basically there because he has blackmail on Quell. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, man, the chaff stuff in this one was rough, too. I did not expect her to agree, to get that deep into the cult. Like, at yeah. the end of Shadowfall, she, she hates them. They remind her of a cult that that she lived in for a while, I guess, that treated her badly and that she saw through and that she saw, you know, this isn't really uh, charitable in, like, a meaningful way. This is just to, to give this person power. And then... But when the cult was all she had left, like none of them have any emotional support. The only support she had was this person who she may or may not have killed. She left she literally left her to die. <laughs> and now she's hearing her voice in her head calling Chas by a name that isn't Chas's. And is leaning on that, and that's her entire emotional support. And that's part of what I love about this series, actually, is that 
it shows um and I've talked about this before. This is probably the same exact thing I said on the Shadowfall episode, so forgive me. Um, that it shows people that are just leaning on f- fake ideas, right? Like, the the voice in Chess's head isn't real, and it's calling her by a name that isn't even hers. And by a person, the name of a person who she, like, wants to be. And all of these House of Cards personal relationships just fall apart. And I, I do find that there are relationships like that in my life or relationships that I have seen, especially on people that are very online, uh, that are like that. And, and so while it's not, it's not good, I'm not like, yes, this is a model of what a relationship should be. It does feel very real to me, which is maybe a a, a problem about my life. (laughs) I think the only the kind of the only you know silver lining is she did have such a rough time in this book and she was probably the one character that had the hardest time reading what she was going through mm-hmm. because it was just it was painful to see someone in that much you know she just felt lost she's and, so raw right yeah and angry and just there was no one there for her for most of this book so for the for the end to happen, and we'll talk about kind of where these characters all end up, but kind of what happens eventually, you're so happy. It's like, okay, good. Thank goodness she found something um, because she just seemed really resigned at, you know, multiple points that she was just like, okay, like there's no future for me even, you know, if when this war is over. Like she was dreading the future uh, to the point of like she was willing to pretty much sacrifice herself. Um not even mm-hmm. sacrifice. I don't even know if sacrifice is the right word. It was almost like suicidal. Yeah, it was um, like a martyrdom, but for a cause that wouldn't have made her a martyr, you know? Yeah. Yeah, she just wanted to go out in a blaze of glory. So, yeah, I, I just, you know, it was it was tough. And I think for me, that's been something I've struggled with this entire book series. Is it, was a little, it was almost a little too gritty, a little too raw. Um, I needed a little bit yeah. more uplift, <laughs> maybe, from these books. I think this whole time, you know, I've been saying I I like that it's gritty. I like that it's all these people putting weight on relationships that don't even exist. And I think after kind of having gotten out, out of it, finished it right, and, and even like kind of thought about to what degree does that mirror the relationships in my real life i i have to i'm i'm glad it's over i'm not that i'm i don't want there to be a fourth book you know i need to i need to get away from this for a while uh, i'm glad to see it reflected but i need to just walk away for a while yeah and um and we could talk a little bit maybe in a little bit about is there a future for the not necessarily for the series mm-hmm. but for these characters I yeah. think they kind of left that door open. Um, but before we get into kind of toward, you know, the end of the book, um, let's hit let's hit a couple more of these characters since we're talking about characters. Um, Kairos was one that I think you, if I'm remembering correctly, you seem to be pretty fascinated with her as a <laughs> yeah, character. I love her, yeah. She's been um, one that I've just, I haven't been able to wrap my head around. I thought maybe this book would bring something to a, to that character that would I don't know maybe make me understand it more but I felt like if anything they may maybe made it a little bit more confusing as to like 
what she is, who she is, her mm-hmm. people, her planet. It just, I mean, we did get to see her people and planet, but it still left a lot untold. It's very abstract, right? And I yeah. think part of the reason that is, is because writing an ensemble is hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> writing five characters that all have these complicated relationships is is really difficult. So if you can have one that is like, um, this one is mysterious and we're not really going to get too deep into her, but we're going to get these kind of both literally and, and sort of fi- figuratively like splashes of imagery from her. It just sort of makes the job easier. I, I did enjoy getting more of to see her without her mask and to see what like what she is, what her species is. I can't help but just imagine her as like a she's the middle stage of like a bug. She she's gonna go into a cocoon and come out a butterfly next. That's what I think her future is. You think so? Yes. It's pretty literal. <laughs> compare you know the way that they were describing it that's literally what they were kind of saying mm-hmm. that she was like in a cocoon uh, so you're saying it wasn't figurative it was it was literal <laughs> i don't know maybe this can be my uh maybe that will be my stance yes i do take that literally <laughs> i want her to be a beautiful butterfly that's fair um yeah i couldn't tell if they were if she was a representation of how her species is in general or if she was someone who had gone through a lot and been experimented on and all the things that they said happened to her, where she came out the other side not a whole person anymore and was kind of a shadow of herself and maybe not all that, you know, kind of even mentally stable 100%. Hmm. So the way that she spoke and kind of her concern with, you know, the outside, you know, if something's going to touch her, it kind of messes up her growth and all this stuff and i was kind of like is that how all the people on that planet are or is that just kind of a her thing it was very unclear and i think there's both a strength and weakness in that you don't really know it's an example of what the empire does to cultures and does to cultures that are as different from it as you can get but it was quite unclear what exactly had happened to not only to that, I think it was pretty clear what happened to them, but what happened to their relationship with Kairos and like why she was sort of exiled the way she was. I didn't entirely understand it or, or even feel like it was meant to be totally understood. Yeah, I, I guess the way, because of the way they described her, the way I was kind of visualizing in my head was very humanoid, you know, kind of bulky type of character that almost had like a mummy-esque look to them, you know? Yeah, um, she's a bug with mummy wraps on. Right, yeah. So the bug thing is throwing me off, though, because when I think bug, I think like, you know, you know, different appendages or like lots of legs. Like, she definitely seemed more humanoid. Hmm, maybe that's just how I started picturing her in the beginning, and then it just stuck, because I'm picturing yeah. at least like Turian-style mandibles. I don't picture her with a human face. Okay, okay. Interesting. Maybe we'll get some official art someday. Hmm. We'll see. I think they did like a very, they did some sort of art with her, but she was, that was back when she still had like her full mask and all that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was on that poster with all of them that had a poster. It was on the the Twitter pages, the 
the banner, right? But she had her mask on and stuff. Well, you mentioned kind of what the Empire does to civilizations and kind of kind of the atrocities, I guess, that they they do. This book dealt a lot in kind of showing kind of showing both sides a little bit. Not that they were trying to make us agree with the Empire, but there was definitely some of the, you know, especially Soren Keys, who's basically saying, you know, he's he's trying to do what's best for his soldiers, for the people that serve the Empire, and trying to, you know, make it so they can have a future. Um, and so you get to hear a lot of back and forth from his perspective. Um, you know, there are people in the Empire that are going to pay the price and didn't really do anything that wrong, you know, maybe they just happened to work at a facility or they were, they were doing paperwork and now their future is going to be ruined because of it. It was it was kind of mm-hmm. interesting to, to kind of get that perspective, not that I really bought into it that much. Well, there's two things there, I think, one of which is the, as you said, the data, the thing we kind of realize is the the actual stakes of the story, the thing that is at stake that Quell has to make a decision about is this database of, of everyone from the people that pull the trigger on Cinder to the clerks, and what do we do about them? How many of them are guilty? How many of them are, are complicit? What is the distinction there? Um, so that's one thing, and I think having that be the stakes of the story was just absolutely genius, like, because it's so connected to Quell's own questions about her own life. However, I never found Keyes either interesting or convincing. I think his character, throughout the first two books, I was, even when he was sort of, um, working in undercover there was an ambivalence to him that i don't think really worked and yes there's something to be said for the banality of evil for the fact that evil people don't go around thinking they're evil and they you know people who commit atrocities go home to their families but there was a sort of ambivalence to how he what he wanted and his talk about protecting his own people began to feel more and more like a smokescreen over kind of over nothing and then he was committing these these horrible i found it very quite quite hard to read the parts where they were basically like we're gonna destroy this planet but we're gonna destroy it slow because we don't have a death star and it's just upsetting right and so i didn't i i wanted him to be more evil i wanted him to be and there's a little bit of, I guess, the, the Emperor's emperor's droid was the thing that was, like, clearly very extremely cursed. Um, but Keyes was not cursed enough. Um, so, yeah, I... I can... I definitely see what that. you're saying, because I, I tend to enjoy villains when they're very villainous. I don't like the kind of, you know, ambiguous, like, oh, well, they have good intentions. You know, even Thrawn bothers me. Because it's kind of like they, especially in the novels, really try to portray him as this, you know, he's doing what he thinks is best, but not necessarily evil. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of like my villains more evil. Like, I, I like them to just be bad guys. And they're, I don't want to feel mm-hmm. bad for them. So, so Soren, he, I might not have had the same take on him as you did. I do think that, he he obviously cared 
you know, for the people that that served under him. Um, I don't think he would have gone out of his way to try to destroy that database in the way that he did. And essentially he, you know, killed himself in the process. Um, if it was all about him, you know, so that makes sense. So I don't know. I, I didn't see the smoke screen maybe as much as you did, but, um, I also didn't necessarily love his character either because I, I tend to not really like, um, the characters on the empire side. I was also thinking about him a lot as in his role as Quell's mentor. And there's a part that I really liked where there's a couple of lines that I think were chosen very carefully to show what what his impact on Quell was. And one of them is when... Um, let's see. Quell talks about herself as... Um, the part of her that was a soldier or a frightened child was certain Keys was setting a trap. Hmm. The fact that those two things are equated, the fact that the idea of a soldier or a child would be equally as suspicious in this case, I think says a lot about how she sees him almost as a parental figure and also how she kind of doesn't have a lot of direction. And there's a moment where he's walking onto a ship like they're on the they're on the outside of a ship on a planet, like doing the repairs or something. And she, he walks toward him, excuse me, Keys walks toward Quell, wearing like a full environment suit. And she sees him as like shining and faceless. And I think that's what he is to her. He's this faceless sort of empty idea of what mentorship is to her. And it's another one of those like very hollow relationships. And the fact that you, I think the fact that he is sort of ideologically hollow is maybe intentional, but also, I mean, I agree with you with about, he wouldn't have gone to those great lengths to destroy that information if he didn't want to do that for other people. Right. Cause he, even in how he, he left that final message, uh, for you know people to see he tried to take as much of the blame as he possibly could mm-hmm. so I think if he was in it for him his own glory I don't think he would have done that either um, but kind of going back to what you were saying about Quell and his you know the mentorship between them I, I also found at the end there was a line where she said she didn't know if she really respected him or if that was just something that kind of had been trained into her Ugh, yeah. And I thought that was a very interesting take because she did say multiple times, like, she looked up to him, she did see him as a mentor, she actually called him, I think at one point she even said, like, the greatest among us, mm-hmm. kind of. Um, so she definitely had some level of respect for him. I don't think it was fake, but I think she was even questioning why. Like, why do I have this respect for him? Is it true? Mm-hmm. Is it a true respect? Or is it something that was just so ingrained in me because of, you know, you know, the empire that she didn't even have a choice, but to respect him. And I love that that's in the text that the characters kind of interrogate their own emotions so closely, which of course is debilitating, but is also, um, very insightful. Right. So, uh, the, and then of course the messenger droid with the, yes, uh, the, the plan, empire, the empire's face. Uh, they, they talk about, I guess that was kind of the thing. Like they, 
they he, it ends up getting destroyed by by Eureka Quell, and then they you know that's where they go into its core and find this data because they're trying to figure out why it chose who it chose to be part of Operation Cinder, which I thought was pretty interesting. It's so creepy. I have a note that just says. At one point, it's described as the messenger's corpse, and my note just says, stop, (laughs) (laughs) because it's so creepy, and it's the worst. I love that you pointed out the mention of the MDC count, and I love that specifically because it's very funny to me the different ways people have gone about not saying midichlorians. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I... It is, it was, it just stood out to me when I heard that, or when I read that, it said, you know, MDC count, and I'm like, okay, that has to be midichlorian, but I was thinking, how do they, I guess maybe that's just something that you can measure for, but it just... Well, it's in your, it's in your blood, right? So if you have a sophisticated enough medical sensor of some kind, you could do it. Right, but I guess my questioning would be that because at the, at the time, the idea of like midichlorians or Jedi or Sith wasn't probably widely known. So is that just a typical medical scan or is that just something the Emperor knew about and he knew how to look for it? I don't know. It's just interesting that, the, you know, in your, in your regular physical to get into the Empire, they'd be taking a midichlorian count. I wonder if this has something to do with the Emperor's long-term plan, both in terms of the Snoke clones and whatever's going on with Grogu. Mm, Grogu. Yep, and of course, like, I don't always find, oh, it was the Emperor's long-term plan to be a satisfying answer, but, the like, they called it M-Count in The Mandalorian, which... Uh, I, I forgot just... about that. I just find funny. I find it evasive. I don't. I don't have a deep theory about it. I just think it's funny. I know they won't do this. Sort of embarrassed. Yeah. I know they won't do this because we're kind of right in the thick of it with you know the storytelling in this time period. But I I need like a Jason Fry guide to kind of like the politics and of the of this era. Yeah. Post Endor. Uh. All the way up to the end of the Last Jedi or the the Rise of Skywalker, because, it, like, you know what you know with the the rebellion turning into the New Republic and the Empire kind of turning into the First Order and the transition and all the different like even in this book, there's the kind of the Empire that they fight at Jakku, but then there's also like a remnant of the Empire that's like still on Coruscant that's like kind of playing nice. Right, which was interesting. It's interesting because I just don't know where all these lines are drawn. And I'm the type of person I need a guide. Like I need like that visual guide that we don't really get those anymore uh, when it Mm -hmm. comes to this kind of stuff to kind of outline it for me. Give me a timeline. Like when did the different factions do what? This is where I think my opinions about the sequel trilogy come in because – problem with this era is that you know the first order is going to rise the new republic which i'm very fond of rooting for the new republic right i read i love the new jedi order i like the old x-wing books like i'm very fond of thinking of the new republic as the good guys whereas in the new eu they have to be they have to shoot themselves in the foot a little bit because they are going to fall we know they're going to fall and that might be sort of part of why it 
becomes confusing because people like trying to fill in all those gaps while not stepping on the toes of anything. I mean, I absolutely agree. Like, Jason Fry would be great for that. Like, The Essential Guide to Warfare. Do you remember that book? Yeah. Like, I need that, but, like, for this this era with some government stuff mixed in. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the different factions and who's controlling what part of space who's leading which part of the empire, who's already kind of gone off into the outer regions and started starting the First Order. Because I think that's where, like, Sloane is now, right? Like, they kept mentioning was that she wasn't here. Say, Sloane was mentioned. Was she mentioned briefly in this book? Oh, she was mentioned a couple times, how she's yeah. not really part of the power structure anymore. But I'm thinking, okay, but doesn't she show up in the, the um, uh, Aftermath books? Yes, Aftermath was before this, because that was all Battle of Jakku stuff. Right, so Aftermath kind of ends at, at Jakku, just like this series ends at Jakku. Oh, true, true. And then yeah. I thought, so yeah, this is just my me trying to remember, so I, I'm, not, I'm not looking at Wikipedia right now. But I thought no, that right. she got, she kind of, you know, she kind of disappeared after the Battle of Jakku, but not for any other reason other than it seemed like they're shipping her off to be part of the First Order. Mm, yeah maybe maybe i don't know that's that's why i say i need a guide <laughs> i need i need something to show me this stuff because i i like to know these details but it's hard to track them down uh, when you have multiple sources of you know books that cover the same time period but don't really line up very well this brings us to the only nice character in this book <laughs> <laughs> which is Harrison Dula, <laughs> which oh, yeah. is the only purely nice person. Um, I love Harris so much. I love that there was more about her in this. Um, she didn't really, like, change or, like, have her own story, but she sure was there, and she was a nice center core for everything. I am so angry. This is not... This is humorous anger. I'm not actually angry. I'm impressed. But that line about the one mention of the Rebels crew in this book was, um, I'm trying to find the exact line. Where is it? It was basically, this would not be the first time Harrison Dula had sent children into battle. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, how dare that be the mention <laughs> of Rebels? I hate this. I do notice that in these books, Hera rarely, if at all, says the names of of the rebels crew it's not like she's name dropping ezra or name name dropping you know sabine i think um even even when she talks about um uh, canaan she doesn't mm -hmm. say canaan she says you know the father of my child kind of thing um i think is how she referred to him and so, I don't know if that's because of some kind of legal tie-up with Filoni, or if that's because this, like, like, Freed doesn't like to do too many cute nods to other things. Like, he, in um, Twilight Company, he had the, the Millennium Falcon appear, but, like, never said the name of the Millennium Falcon, and does the same thing with the ghost in this book. It's just part of how it works, I think. It's I, think. A, I think you're right. I think it's an Alexander Freed thing. I think he likes to put in mentions of characters without actually saying their names. It seems to be pretty consistent with him. Um, I'd be surprised if it had anything to do with 
Filoni just because I feel like Star Wars is Star Wars and it's all owned by Star Wars, so they can use whatever mm-hmm. names they want. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not like if they had mentioned Kanan by name, that doesn't mess with Canon. That just says his name. So um, they did. he did yeah. kind of break form a little bit toward the end where he did say Jason Sindula's name, which I was surprised that they actually said his name out loud. And then they did say the ghost at the end. They called it the ghost. Oh, nice. Which I was surprised. Um, so that was kind of cool. to Because I do like the little nods. I like the Easter eggs. The Not necessarily the Easter I like the obvious Easter eggs. Like the ones where you, they throw a name right in your face. And I'm like, yeah, I like that. <laughs> you know, I'm one of those fans. <laughs> yeah. The, the subtle stuff sometimes actually goes by me when, like, I don't think I even knew the Millennium Falcon was in Twilight Company. I I really like that stuff. It just absolutely blew my mind that first time in Twilight Company. But then this time I was just like, oh, we're doing this again. Like, <laughs> I think it's it's nice. It's it's fun. It allows you to discover it yourself. It is. It has a certain dignity to it. But also, I was like, we pulled this trick before. I was hoping for a, for a chopper cameo. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? I thought at first that Hera would send Chopper with Quell and was like, this is literally the most obnoxious pair of people in the entire galaxy. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought he would be on the ghost when they said she was flying the ghost out to join the battle. I was like, oh, Chopper's got to be on there, right? Like, why don't just name drop him? Tell us he's there. Yeah. Or say something about some spunky droid that's, you know, I don't know, something, but didn't happen. (laughs) I think it would have been a little jarring tonally, but I miss I miss him. That battle was so good, though. I just felt that the way it was written, you could tell what was going on all the time. It was very, uh, it kept me reading. Like it was, everything flowed into the next thing. The momentum was really good. Yeah, they were. Can we just talk about how characters don't die? In this, yeah. in this book because it was getting yeah. a little frustrating because I, I was actually waiting for mm-hmm. kind of the big emotional death of a, one of these characters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they kind of teased us with, you know, Will multiple times that he might die. They teased us with Chas, they that she almost died. Kairos almost died. You know, pretty much everybody <laughs> in this book, maybe with the exception of uh, Nath, at one point, seemed like they died. Yeah, there was even that moment with Nath, like, intercepting a missile, right? Was that in this book? Or was that in Shadowfall? Maybe. There was definitely a Nath almost death at okay. some point. Okay, so yeah. So, like, it's just... But sometimes that frustrates me as a reader because I'm all about, you know, killing major characters. I like the gravity <laughs> that brings to a book. I love how you're like, I just want to read about nice people and also kill them and then kill them yes like <laughs> I, I like really an emotional role enjoy coaster. that <laughs> but you know i i don't know I, I kind of maybe it's just that kind of romantic you know storytelling where it's just like the hero goes you know does this and dies and like they you know they're a legend now because of it i don't know i, I was waiting for for that kind of big emotional death and you know the only death we got really was keys which you know we weren't that attached to we both kind of admitted so, I don't know. I was disappointed, maybe, that Will didn't die. 
No, I I agree with you completely. And I think that use of the word romantic, like capital R romantic, is a good idea right. because that is, or a good word for it, because that is kind of what you feel like this is leading to. You feel like, oh, the catharsis I'm going to get is all of these people are going to die. And I, uh, I also really feel disappointed and, and I feel so weird saying that because I don't want to sort of sound bloodthirsty although like I love Rogue One for example and I also don't want to sound like I didn't like the ending because I think it had its own merits and I also don't like you could really go like sort of down the rabbit hole and be like well the ultimate sort of punishment this book could inflict on readers was denying them the satisfaction of, of watching everyone die <laughs> like right. the ultimate like it's the ultimate sort of like you, you don't get the the catharsis of that so i i definitely feel that and feel like there were in a way so many signposts that said that everyone was going to die that when that didn't happen i also felt a little bit let down maybe and i kind of would want it to be somewhere in the middle so like rogue one for me was a little much you know the fact that all of them died so i i like it when like a couple people die you know yeah. For this whole trilogy, yeah. I would have been fine if, like, Will had gone down and maybe Kairos, you know, if they had a couple really good moments where those two characters could have died. Like, Will could have gone down fighting in his, you know, duel. I mm -hmm. actually was almost expecting it when that duel happened. I'm like, ooh, he's in over his head. He kind of doesn't realize it. He's going to die here, which is going to propel the other characters. You know, I, I just kind of had it worked out in my brain. And so when he didn't mm -hmm. die, I was kind of, like, almost disappointed because that would have been kind of a cool way for him to go out. Um, and then when Kairos at the end saves Quell when she's going against um, Keys one on one, and Kairos kind of comes in out of nowhere and saves her, and it and she and there the way they described it was like her cocoon came apart, which was her ship, and she just jumped off, jumped out into the nothing, and I'm like, okay, she can't survive that. I guess if she's an insect, you know, she can survive <laughs> that, but. You know, I was thinking more humanoid, and I was thinking, okay, there's no way she survives that. So she gave her life to save, you know, Quell. So mm -hmm. that would have been a great ending for her. You know, so once again, I was a little bit disappointed when she survived that. And they didn't really explain. They just said, oh, she's here. And they didn't really kind of explain how she survived. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that moment where she basically says that, like, she and Quell have this, like, sisterly bond. But then she just sort of walks away and... I'm out. Yeah, uh, the the expectation versus the what was actually there. Um, I, it's you know I almost wonder whether this was the kind of the last. Uh, the the series has been finding different ways to to bother us many different ways, and the the last way is to be kind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, such for such a gritty you know, realistic, dark tale about the military. And then kind of everybody has a happily ever after. It's like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is not I mean, what I expected at all. Yeah. And you mentioned before that you like, like, that Quell and Chas end up living a pretty happy life together. Um, and I think there's some good stuff at the end about how, like, Quell basically, she's not allowed to vote. She's, like, <laughs> she's restricted um, because she's a war criminal. Um, and I think that that was very realistic, very like, this is, 
these are the mundane consequences. You don't get to go out in a blaze of glory. You don't get a redemptive death. I think this book is overall like anti-redemptive death or at least disinterested in in that. And um I think the end the the I was just very shaken up by the whole thing, so like no one part of it shook me more than any other part, but I was very surprised. You said you sort of liked the ending. With like specifically with Quell and Chas, I was happy that Chas had a happy ending. I felt like if any character deserved a happy ending, Chas did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, I mean, I guess if if people are listening to it that hadn't uh, read it, right? Basically, the way it ends is that Chas and Quell have like a business together and have a romantic relationship, and then Nath just kind of leaves. Right, he goes off to continue being a smuggler or whatever. Um, Will is living happily on, he's a senator on his planet, right? Will gets into politics, who would have guessed? Yeah, and Will has a nice boyfriend, and then, um, Kairos is just gone. Yeah, she, she just disappeared. Yeah. But, and they kind of all, they do like this time jump too, because, you know, it all happens at Jakku. And then they do like a one-year time jump, and then they do like a six-year time jump. And so we see kind of where they're all, you know, at this point, and they kind of all get back together for a bit of a reunion, minus, you know, Nath, who's out doing his pirating, and Kairos, who who knows where she's at. But, but we know they did give us, you know, kind of an update on Nath as far as he's, he's like actually trying to recruit some of the Shadow Wing people mm-hmm. and trying to start his own little crew and he actually like offers to will to come join him although i think he knew will wouldn't yeah so that i don't know where that's going like i could see there maybe being some potential for future storytelling with you know you know what nath is kind of establishing um so yeah it'll be interesting to see if these any of these characters kind of pop back up in other books or if they do another series with the same characters i'm ready to let them rest for a while and i think that's partially because the ending was like such an emotional experience to me um and and not entirely the certainly not the one i expected um and also just because i do like that they are characters who don't really have much to do with the rest of the saga i would i feel like it would be a little silly if you came out and were like yeah nath was i mean someone was at the battle of exegol so we know that but um you know said some someone was connected to leia in some way or whatever i feel like i like them being self-contained i kind of thought maybe the way they were going with it was that nath was kind of starting this crew and eventually they would all kind of end up reunited as like a crew as opposed to like individual pilots um you know maybe that was where they were going but it didn't go that direction so yeah and i can't i mean i can see i did really like that the ending is like quell flying and doing what she loves you know like having a good time (laughs) i really felt that sense of like fulfillment and freedom for her at the end that was so so satisfying and sanctions or not i don't see her going back to being a military pilot um unless maybe at exegol you know we don't know who who that is but if she maybe ends up there and so what's the exegol connection that i'm missing that what 
Oh, it's just in the Rise of Skywalker novelization. Someone referred to as Alphabet 2 is in one of the ships. Ah, got it. There's no canon, any, like, canon determination about who that is. Okay. I agree. I think that, I think she will not, you know, she's not going to join back up, you know, with the military by any means. Although I guess, I guess when it gets down to the, because there's a difference between the New Republic military and the resistance. Yeah. And so I guess I could see you know, if she's still around by the time the resistance stuff starts happening, hmm. I could see her maybe joining that because it's not an official military group. If anything, they're actually going against the wishes of the new Republic military and kind of starting their own thing to fight against the first order. And if she felt like that was a place that she could add value and enough time has passed that she'd probably gotten over some of her demons, I could see that. But yeah, I love her so much. I hope she doesn't, Tear herself up as much anymore. Yeah, sometimes time is what it takes, right? Guess so. Um, I think we kind of covered pretty much everything. I think we jumped over a couple little things. I know they they mentioned Luke, uh, or as Will actually saw Luke um, burning Vader. Yeah, well, that's the moment that. I when I was talking about redemptive death, right? I felt so much like that was a that's the kind of conversation that's being had on Twitter all the time, right? Cuz Will's take was no one should have been mourning Vader. And I someone who like grew up on taking Return of the Jedi at face value, it's hard for me to get around to that a little bit. Um I I think that it's the sort of I think Luke can be grieving without agreeing with what Vader did, but uh, I just felt it was very important for Will to have an opinion on that, and that that probably also showed what he thought of like keys and potentially Quell. And it's it is interesting to hear that perspective from an outside view because we as viewers of those movies like we we're in on everything you know we know what's going on we know why. Luke cares about Vader, but somebody like Will would have no idea. You know, he would just be seeing that as like, wait, why is, why is Luke, you know, caring about this villain, um, but not knowing the f- the familial relationship there. So, it is always interesting to see it through other characters' eyes and remind and being reminded that the the galaxy as a whole isn't necessarily as in on the story as we as viewers are. Which I still love. I think that's something that this trilogy has like excelled at. And I really love Star Wars characters who don't watch Star Wars. Even <laughs> though I want to have a bit of a more positive feeling towards some of it than I think Will does. Yeah, yeah. And he, although he does, he does have like a really almost in denial positive outlook. So when they did the different communications with, you know, the, the um, Shadow Wing oh this hurts my heart so much where they were kind of like as they're battling they have an open radio line and they're kind of just all going back and forth talking to each other they're saying the names of people who have died they're doing the whole game where it's like how are you gonna die and where and who whatever that game they were doing um yeah (laughs) so dark man did you like that like it kind of annoyed me honestly though that all that banter and chatter it kind of threw me off 
So the part that I liked was when they were talking among themselves when um when they're on the ship. So the, the them you know broadcasting during the fight I think was a cool kind of um musically it was a cool way to circle back to the the Chass's music motifs that have been going throughout this whole thing. But other than that, I didn't really have strong feelings about it. I had much stronger feelings about Will and Blink and the, the moment where the, the New Republic people start realizing what Will is doing before they actually start transmitting to the rest of the group in the battle. And the one thing I've I missed... Um... And this could be the last thing. We can wrap up after this. But when Will ends up meeting Blink and she got mad that, you know, she's like, that's not my name. But I can't remember her name now. So I'm just as bad as Will. But um, when he meets her and she's kind of like saying all this stuff and he's like, oh, no, you don't really mean that. Like he thought she had actually tried to help them out before, but really she wasn't. She was trying to sabotage them. And it was like he wouldn't believe it. I thought it was it was that was a very interesting um, kind of back and forth. And then I honestly I'm, I'm forgetting how she did. She just end up dying on the as the ship was crashing, or I think so. Um, let's see. She attacks Will. I believe she dies there. Okay, because I remember um. like I don't know. I was kind of trying to speed through the end of the book and. Um, and I'm forgetting that detail because I know he obviously survived, but I couldn't remember what happened to her. I also have a note that says a friendly TIE pilot rescues Will. <laughs> it's been a while since I read it. So I'm looking at my phone notes, but like I have such feelings about, I was so shocked that Will still like cared about Blink. I thought he was kind of over that. And then the fact that he was not seems so like dangerous and like very true to life, but very upsetting do you think like you, you wrote is the open channel a good idea were you worried about it more from like a tactics perspective or more from a like an interpersonal perspective both yeah yeah it felt weird to me like it i was very weird i mean i play sports and you know obviously you're out on the field and you can you know kind of jaw back and forth in the the competition and it happens but I have to feel like sports is different than the military. And and I don't know. For, yeah, from a tactical perspective, it just seemed like a really bad idea. But also from like a men, just a mental, like, I don't know that I want to be talking to somebody right before I kill them, you know, mm-hmm. like in a joking way or, you know, kind of. Yeah, um, it just felt a little too it felt a little bit too much like sports and not like a life and death situation. <laughs> oh, interesting. I was really waiting like with bated breath on whether it would work. I was like, no way is Will going to actually get through to this person. Like it's never going to happen. And no, it absolutely did not happen. Not only did Blink like not get half those messages, she was determined to murder. Right. Um, So what was the point of it then? Well, I think the point of it was that it brought the new Republic together because the thing I really loved about it was that, the scene right after they catch him basically the other soldiers like catch him sending these transmissions and instead of them being like you're being super weird they're like oh i can sing i can play this instrument i can talk about my hometown i can like tell a story and other people wanted to do it too because they just like wanted something to do and wanted to like 
express themselves. And to me, I thought that the sort of quote moral lesson, it's not that clean. And like, maybe that's not what it was meant to say. I don't know. But what it meant to me was that you're not going to reach out to that person that like, you're not going to get through to that person that doesn't want to talk to you. But in the course of trying, you might like find healthier relationships with people that are actually on your own side. Hmm. Like when, uh, when the TIE fighter pilot finds him and like, what's your name? Oh, I'm Will Lark. Oh, Will Lark. I listened to your podcast. Yeah, that's kinda, exactly. It's kind of how it came across. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's exactly. And that one itself was like surprisingly merciful that it did work. It didn't work for the person that he thought it would, but it worked for someone. I was thinking that they might have revealed that that pilot to be somebody we knew from. Uh, oh, what's the name of the other squadron from the Battlefront books? Oh, um, yeah, I know what you mean. Iden and them. Yeah, because they were supposed to, I think some of them were supposed to be on Jakku, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, oh, they're going to be accounted but, for. That'd be fun. But, yeah, so I think we've covered most of it. What? So in, in the end, after, after having read all three of these books, where do you, kind of where do you fall on this, on this as a trilogy? Oh, everywhere. <laughs> Lots of falling happening. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think the, 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 the note, the last note that I have is this book is reverse shock value. It, it shocks you by, by its mercy. Um, I, this trilogy is the kind of thing where like, if someone said, you know, what should I read to get to know you? It would be this. Okay. And I think, I still think the, the the evocation of like weird messed up relationships in it is something that I haven't even found in like literary fiction to be this effective. I think it's astonishing. Um, would I recommend it to every Star Wars fan? Probably not. But if you came to me and you were like, I like to be sad, go for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not, I can't. I can't give a simple answer on this one, which means five out of five, I right. guess. <laughs> since since you connect so much with it, I almost feel bad if I if I give it a bad review. Oh, I don't. That's not. I don't take it personal like that. <laughs> don't worry about it. But I, for me, I definitely enjoyed it as the series went on, as I got to know the characters more, because I do enjoy that about. Um, the Star Wars fiction that I really enjoy is is these series where you can really start to get to know these characters and they become memorable. And so there might be characters from like the old EU that they used them enough times that they, they became as important to me as, you know, Luke or Han or Leia. And I don't, I don't know that I got there with these characters in particular, but the fact that they were across three books really gave me a chance to get to know them. And so I found myself caring more about the characters as the series went on and enjoying it, and it as the series went on. In general, I don't love, you know, a lot of star, you know, kind of starfighter books. You know, it's just not my thing. And like you were saying before, like you really liked how clear the battle scenes were. To me, it, I didn't think it was that clear at all. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I felt I felt lost, which I've said, you know, many times on this podcast. So, so it's definitely not my cup of tea 
and how dark and kind of sad the books were kind of bothered me too. So mm-hmm. I'd probably say if I was gonna if I was gonna give it like a star rating as a series, it probably would be like a solid three and a half out of five. I did enjoy it, and I kind of have grown to like these characters and wouldn't mind seeing them again. Um, but maybe in a different writer's hands. No offense to hmm. Alexander, interesting, but maybe. Same characters, maybe more uplifting story next time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do not go into this expecting to be to feel better about humanity. Don't save all the uplifting for the last two Wars. pages. You know, yeah. That's basically what this series did. It, it, you know, if you want anything uplifting, it happens in the last two pages. <laughs> Does Alexander Freed have anything on the docket? Like, does he have more books coming up? I can't remember. No. Okay. So we'll see what comes. He, I have enjoyed you know, uh, some of his other books and stuff. So I do like him as a writer. Um, and, th- and this series was, was pretty, was pretty solid. So I, I would like to see more from him. I'm ready for a break. <laughs> yeah. I think we'll have a break with the, uh, with all the, the high Republic stuff coming out. we got a Thrawn book coming up, although I'm not a huge Thrawn fan. Uh, but yeah, we'll definitely have a break. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for joining me again, Megan, for this third this third time i guess for this series this um, is really fun yeah and we'll have to definitely look for what's the next what's the next series that that uh, maybe you'll be interested in you have to let us know and i know you you said you haven't been podcasting as much lately so now that we know you're a bit of a free agent maybe we'll pick you up more often absolutely but, uh... Uh, so where can people find you um you know just online in general you can find me at blog full of words on twitter I believe that's the best place. Uh, Aaron did all my bylines up top, so that's about it. All right. Well, you can also find Star Wars Bookworms on Twitter at SWBookworms. You can email us, StarWarsBookworms at gmail.com. We have our Facebook and our Facebook group. If you want to talk to some people about um, Star Wars, you can join our Facebook group. We actually just did a recent poll where we're talking about um, how people are liking the High Republic, and that generated a bit of a conversation around the High Republic. So jump in there, and we'll be happy to have you. Um, you can also find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review. We'd enjoy that. You can find Teresa on Twitter and Instagram at Ice Cold Penguin. You can find me at Av Goins. And until next time. Keep on reading, and may the Force be with you. I really enjoyed the way we ended that podcast was you were like, I didn't like this series that much, but I would love to see more. And I was like, I adore this series. Never do it again. We're contradictory in the, yeah, in the, uh, in the spirit of the series that we just reviewed. Very contradictory. Absolutely. I love it, though. <laughs>